Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Welcome to all you guys here with us in the sanctuary. Welcome to you guys worshiping with us online. My name is Dan. I'm the worship director here. So good to be with you. If this is your first time connecting with us today, welcome. Welcome to you guys. If, you, if this is your first time here in the sanctuary, there's a QR code in front of you. You can scan that. They'll bring right, right, you guys right to our website where there's a landing page for all the announcements that you hear about today and also a little icon you can click on that'll, um, if you're new, you can click on that form and it'll bring you to a spot where I have a couple questions that we'd love you free to answer. Um, you guys can ask us some questions and we'd love to just help you feel welcome and feel connected here at Sunrise. So um, if you are online joining us for the first time, there'll be a a little link that'll drop in the comments that'll bring you to that same spot. So once again, welcome. Welcome to worship today on this gonna be hot summer day. I'm excited about it. But hear these words from Revelation as we prepare our hearts for worship today. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we worship our God today. Give him worth. He's worthy to receive our honor and praise. Why don't you guys stand as we worship and sing to him today. Thank you. 
victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, and I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Amen. There's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Nothing can stand 
you guys pray with me? God, you are good. As we sing those words, I can't help but have the images in my mind of the book of Revelation, where the elders are kneeling before your throne and the angels and saints are gathered and singing around you. And all the light and all the details of the gemstones and the colors and the flashes of lightning and thunder. God, what an image to behold and just to stand in awe of. God, you truly are worthy of all of our honor and glory and power today. God, you alone are worthy. God, we stand in in awe of a God who is so big and so mighty and awesome. God, yet you are close and intimate with each one of us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to live within us, to give us power and hope. And God, we say we love you today. We worship you today. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Byron. I'm uh, here to say good morning. Yeah. You know, so nice for our praise group uh, to lead us like that, and so nice to hear people singing uh, mask-free. Thank you for verbalizing your praise this morning. Hey, so uh, we hope you get, if, you, if this is your first time with us this morning, either here in person or online, we hope you'll connect with us. And so for that purpose, we provide a little quick response code, QR code on the back of the chairs. It's also on the Facebook page and on the uh, live stream page. So please uh, get connected with us. We'd like to get connected with you. So please do that for us. Uh, Hey, Sunrise students, we are uh, having a big event this coming Wednesday night, Rock and Bowl, Hudsonville Lanes, and uh, $8 per kid buys mom and dad some quiet. So... uh, Check that out. Uh, Sixth grade students coming in this fall, you're welcome to join as well. Please do so. There are playground dates coming. I saw some stuff on Facebook. They're kind of cool that the Facebook page for the church, Sunrise Ministries, has all of the announcements. You don't need me. I'm just kind of reinforcing what you can find on Facebook. So anyway, but there are playground dates coming up. Check that out. That'll be fun for kids. And uh, the complete summer calendar, including uh, a worship service in Hager Park, End of the month, June 27th, that's coming up as well. Thanks for being here this morning. We're part of God's temple, building, being built together into God's dwelling place. Thank you. Forgot to mention that there is a kids' ministry going on this morning. Dan Dupuy tells me it's every two weeks, starting today. So if your kids need to change of scenery, <laughs> uh, there's kids' ministry going out back. Thank you, Byron. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. That was a big step right there for this back. Um, welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, as we were singing these songs this morning, it was, like Byron said, great to hear your voices. Uh, great to, for those of us who are comfortable to sing mask-free uh, and to not be pushed out into our living rooms or bedrooms or Cars that are likely pulled over on the side of the road while watching. Um, It's nice to be in this room together with you. There's also this passage that I want to read to you. Those of you who are recently graduating from high school, those of you who are going into college, you tired mothers, you dads who are at your wit's end, kids who feel like you are being bullied in school and are looking forward to summer but wondering where your friends are. Paul writes these words, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. These words that we sing this morning of a God who is greater than anyone else, who is able to open the scroll, who is able to bring us from a place of death to life, applies to all of us today. And these words of Paul in 2 Corinthians only highlight again for us the message of Revelation, which we're looking at today. This book is a book, Revelation, this letter that John wrote to seven different churches, but wrote for all of us, is at times my favorite book in the Bible. And it is a book that is often misunderstood. And it comes at the end, as far as the timeline of God's story goes, it comes at the end of this long stretch of a story that we have been engaged in. It's the part of the story where God says to his people, I know that life is hard. I know that you're in the midst of persecution. Yes, there are pandemics. Yes, there is division within the church, but my faithfulness that you have seen throughout the stories that you have read in the Old and New Testaments show you that I am still with you and I am for you and I love you. And though you are persecuted, you are not abandoned. And though you are crushed, you will not be destroyed. And so this book of Revelation we come to today, it's a book that <laughs> was the last one that was welcomed into the canon, the scriptures, last book that people from all over the world who followed Jesus were willing to say, yep, we'll sign off on that one because it's been so misunderstood. Unfortunately, I don't understand it any more than any of you. I went to seminary, I did the best I could to learn what I could from this stack of books and others, and I have some suggestions that I can bring to you of what it is God is saying in this book of Revelation that I believe honor the text and the historical interpretation of this book of Revelation and provides for us a pastoral path forward in our lives today. Before we jump in, let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness for keeping us even though we are crushed from being destroyed, for being with us in the long, dark moments of life where we can't seem to find which way is up, and being with us when we're at the very top of the mountain, the pinnacle of life, where things are going so smoothly, and promising that in the midst of both circumstances and all of the rough and smooth terrain between, that you will be with us and that you are moving to make all things new. We're here this morning in part because we believe these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I went to Culver's last night. You guys like Culver's? There better be like 75% of you raising your hand because every time I go, there's a long, long line. If you've been there recently, you've seen that they have replaced the one ordering spot outside in the drive-thru with the microphone, the board you can order from. They now have two of those. Have you guys seen that? Okay, every transition is difficult, right? I went there last night, I'm in the line, I wait there for 30 minutes, because the line is so long, it's 10 o'clock when I get there, and they close at 11 o'clock, so I really want to get through this line quickly. I get up to the new microphone, the new board where I'm supposed to be ordering my mango strawberry ice crush thing, I think that's right, I ordered it for someone else, a friend. I get up to the microphone, there's no light on the board, the microphone is not working, there's no audio coming through to me, so I assume what every responsible person would assume, you just order at the window. So I go up to the window after a long wait again, and I say, hey, I'd like to order, and she interrupts me and says, that'll be 4.07. I said, no, wait a minute, I didn't order. Hold on, what's going on? She said, oh, I'm sorry, the microphone we know is not working, several people in front of you have had a difficult time. Um, you're going to have to go back around the building, or we're open and you can come in. Now, I love Culver's, okay? This is nothing, I'm actually, there's a point to this story. I'm not trying to rip on Culver's, okay? <clears throat> I didn't want to go back all the way around the line. It's, a, it's almost 11 o'clock. I want to be able to order this mango strawberry ice crush. It is important to my well-being that I come home not empty-handed. I go inside, and I meet four other people who were standing there around me after I order with our little post-it notes that say Culver's in your number that you're in, in line. And the person next to me says, or asks me, were you in line waiting to order too out in the drive-thru? And I said, yeah, I was. And 
It didn't work out. And they, she said, they could fix this, couldn't they? Like, couldn't they just let us know that there's something that's not right with the ordering system? And I said, look, everybody can't be perfect, but if it were you and me, we would have been on this. <laughs> but in those moments of life where we want things, whether it's in the Culver's drive through or in the hallways of high school or in the boardroom at work or in the pews or chairs at church or even the beanbags, welcome kids, we're glad that you're here. We feel like we're teetering on the edge of things either going really well because this experience is going to deliver for me what I'm looking for, but we're also teetering on the side of things are not going to go the way that they should be. For me, I can tell you a simple story that's funny about this whole teetering on what in the world am I going to do and is the world going to be right at Culver's by me coming home with what I need in the way that I want it to or am I going to be crushed and maybe abandoned by my wife by not coming home with one? Some of us have felt very clearly that our lives at times, especially this last year, have been a little bit wobbly, right? It's as though we're on a a tightrope and we've approached life expecting that the drive-through would function the way that it's supposed to and we found out that it's not. And the experience that we've been expecting, that we've been counting on, is not the way that it should be. And internally and even externally, we can show that we are teetering. We're teetering between a confidence that things will be okay and also a complete fear that things are going to crumble. This is the exact same kind of context, but in a much greater way, that the first readers of this letter called Revelation are experiencing. There are people who are following Jesus, trying to follow Jesus in a Roman world where the emperor is proclaiming himself to be God's chosen one. And the life that people have been expecting to live as they've been following Jesus and subscribing to his story doesn't seem to be coming to pass. They don't have that communication with God. The emperor is saying, talk to me, I will fulfill your orders, but it's going to be my way, not your way, right away. And it causes the church to waver a bit. And so John writes the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is a fun book. If you just go through and uh, try to draw the pictures of what you see there, you come up with some really cool pictures. This is the beginning of the book when it's John here writing down the things that he sees on the island of Patmos. You've got the candlesticks. You've got God there. Uh, For centuries, people have been drawing, painting different pieces of art to help us wrap our minds around What's happening? Some of the pictures are great. Some of them put us in a sense of what in the world is going on here. And it can push some of us away from reading the book. It can cause us to shelter our kids' eyes, even from pictures like these. But for some of us, it pulls us in. Because in some way, these pictures look a little bit like an older Pokemon card, right? I don't know if any of you are fans of that, but some of you are. But you've got this weird world that John creates where you have things like blue, black, brown, and white horses. And what in the world is going on? And then you have this figure that seems like it could crush any Pokemon in your deck. These creatures that just don't seem to make sense. And so as we approach this book understanding that it is written to a group of people who are teetering on the edge of life, wondering if they can fully trust and follow God, or if the world is going to swallow them up and spit them out. We understand that this book is trying to offer us something that will help us if we just read verse 3 of chapter 1, where John says, the author of this book says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, of this book that I am writing, this letter to you. And blessed are those who hear it and take time to hear what is written in it, because the time is near. The purpose of Revelation is not to provide the Baptist churches that I grew up in and other churches a week-long revival where they can scare people into believing that these beasts that we saw here are going to show up in your dreams and teach you that in sixth grade you better do all your homework and not lie. No? (laughs) The book of Revelation is written to be a blessing. John writes this 
explicitly. And so rather than turn away from it and say this is too difficult for me to understand, rather than simply running to the commentaries or to the novels that have been written using Revelation as a springboard into just creative thinking, we should come to the text. Now I would actually do what this text says and stand here and read you the book of Revelation, but if I did that, I would be again breaking every rule of seminary, and so we won't do that today. It'd take longer than 25 minutes too. So I'm going to try to go over the book of Revelation very quickly for us. First, the book of Revelation is, is a tricky book. It's a book that has at least three genres in it. Number one, it's a letter. It starts out with John saying, look, this is John writing to seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is the standard formula for a letter that is written to a person. This is like John writing John. Or let me write it this way. This is from Dan to Stephanie. God's grace and peace to you. I wrote letters like that to her when we were dating. That's how I got her. But John writes this letter not just to one person, but he writes it to seven churches. What's important to know is that numbers come up often in the book of Revelation, and they function as they do in any Hebrew world, but it loses its translation a bit for us. In the Hebrew world, Jewish world, numbers mean things that are important. The number seven means wholeness, completeness. And so those who are reading just this first part of the book understand rightly that John is writing to the whole, or to the complete church. Now, yes, there are seven specific churches, but he is writing to seven churches for a specific reason. And because he is, just because he is writing to seven churches does not mean he is writing only for seven churches. The books that are here, the words that are here are written also for us. So he writes these words, and he ends this statement at the very beginning that this God of whom he will write is not just the place where we want to find our grace and peace, but he's also the one who was and who is, who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, that doesn't mean off into the future we can wait for him to come, like, well, one day my son will grow up and be taller than I am, or one day I will eventually grow up and leave the house and I'll be able to buy the dog that I want because my parents won't let me buy it now. That's something that is coming. No, 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 no. This is more rightly understood to say the one who is in the process of coming. The one who is right now stepping into and walking with us in the course of human history. I say this because so many people come to the book of Revelation and read it as though it is a newspaper written in advance, so that the people who, go after, who live after us will understand the book more than those of us now. That even though John wrote this letter to seven churches, they really didn't know what it meant, and they needed people like us, who's pointing back to the late 1800s where dispensationalism came in, to put everything into a nice, neat container and understand the book of Revelation. No, 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 no. John is saying this book right here that we are opening is about a God who was in the past, who is right now, and even right now is bringing into this world the desired kingdom that he's painting for us. So he writes to seven churches. Again, this is the whole complete church, and we get a quick picture of the characteristics of these churches. Please look these up if you'd like to. I don't have the verses to go through all of them, but I've summarized them for you with the name of the church and the passage there where you can find it parenthetically written. He's writing to a group of people. Find out where you land as you hear these characteristics. What kind of church is this? And I'll tell you why in just a moment. This is a church that perseveres through difficult things, hates sin, they've forgotten who God is, and that he's a God of love. I've been in churches like that, haven't you? Man, I look down my nose at people who aren't any good. But, yeah, God's not a God of love. He just likes people who do what he wants them to. Uh, there's another church in Smyrna. They're economically poor, but they are spiritually rich. They are faithful while waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> Some of us live like that right now. 
Some of us are like Pergamum, where you subscribe to the right doctrine, but live contrary to it. Man, I'll sign on the dotted line that God loves people, and I'm supposed to do the same thing too. But I'll go to work or small group or school and rip people to shreds. Loving, faithful, patient, but acting in ways that are contrary to the call of God. This is the church in Thyatira. We've got a morally upright church in Sardis that is exhausted, though, and is near giving up on God. In Philadelphia, we've got a powerless and vulnerable church, vulnerable to the abuses of other people. We have churches like that right now. We have a friend who's come and preached from this stage, J.R. Pittman, whose church feels this right now. We have self-made successful churches, but they're independent from God. They're seeing themselves as their own savior and as their own sustainer. I don't know that there are many other churches that could be described outside of these seven characteristics, and I think that only helps us see that Paul is writing to every group of people who aim to follow Jesus when he writes this letter. So what we have then is one letter that's originally written to seven churches, but it is written for every church on earth. And it is one letter for all followers of Jesus in different contexts. John is a masterful writer. He's essentially saying there are seven different groups of churches, kinds of people who are following Jesus, and I want to address all of them in their unique circumstances of life, but there is one message for them, and it's as though he says there are seven glasses you can put on, reader, to help you understand the story of Revelation well. Which pair of glasses do you need based on the circumstances you are in? Are you about to give up on God? Do you feel powerless and you're waiting for the next shoe to drop? Do you feel like you're self-made and that you're in control? Then pick up glasses and read this book because it will bless you. So these seven churches, they're in Asia. Uh, This letter is meant to be cyclically passed around. Sunrise, once you're done with it, I want you to hand it off to Res Life. Res life, once you're done with it, pass it off to Ridge Point. Ridge Point, when you're done with it, just keep passing it around. Pass it around. This is not the first letter that does this. It's several of Paul's writings do this. And I doubt that Paul or John only wanted this letter to go to these seven churches. I doubt he would have said to his person who was carrying this over to Sunrise, hey, You read this to your church because this is going to bless them and these other six churches, but those Presbyterians down the road, God doesn't love them, so don't read this to them. No. So, Revelation is a letter, but it is also a prophecy, okay? Letter we've established. It's to seven churches. It is for all of us. We've discussed how it is uniquely written to all of us. It's a prophecy, in Revelation 1.10, we see that on the Lord's day, I, this is John, was in the spirit. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it. This is language that had been used in the Old Testament. Write on a scroll what you see in the Old Testament, and it was, but don't open it up. Don't share it. But here, John is writing the words of God for the church of God. This is the function of a prophet John sees himself standing in the long line of God's prophets who lead Israel and God's people to the feet of God to see and become the kingdom that he has planned for them. So this is a prophetic book. It is not to be a prophet does not mean only to talk about what is going to happen, but it also means to communicate the truth that needs to be spoken now and to do that with God's wisdom and boldness. Finally, and this is the one that really scares people away, it's an apocalyptic book. There aren't a whole lot of writings, movies that we read today that we uh, understand. Let me, let me see, I didn't say that well. Apocalyptic literature is very unique. Okay? There are many characteristics of it. Usually it's pseudonym, pseudonym, pseudonymous. Did I write that right? Say that right? Pseudonymous. Okay, that one. It's written by somebody who 
uses a different name. That's what that means. There are people who wrote apocalypses, and they claimed that they were written by Abraham or Enoch to establish themselves. John is saying, I don't have to tell you that it's some other person. It's me. This came from God. I'm going to be straight with you. It's written in the context of persecution. You've got a heavenly intermediary who reveals truth. This is what happens in the book of Revelation. There's a sharp dualism between what's now and what's coming in the future. This is certainly apparent. And these other things that are here too. But again, we go back to what John says. This book is written to be a blessing. How in the world is this all a blessing? We can't even wrap our minds very well around what all of this means. To be an apocalyptic piece of literature, let's dive back into that for a second. How many of you have seen 1984, or read the book 1984, or Matrix, or Walking Dead? Come on. Yes, someone has. I will admit to that. I will admit to Walking Dead, and Matrix, and 1984. Let's look at... Let's look at the Matrix. In that story, people are doing what? Help me out. They live how? How do they live? Virtually, yeah. Their their bodies are what? What do you see if you're in the world? You see their bodies. What are they doing? Huh? Yeah, they're sleeping. And everything that they're experiencing is not objectively real, right? Okay, we'll go to a more current one, The Mitchells versus The Machines. You guys seen that one? That's a cartoon movie. Yeah, one fan. In that movie, you have a family who is fighting against computers that are trying to take over the world. And the whole point of the story is to dress up our current reality, which is we are a people who have devices in front of us all the time, and they're sucking the life out of us. And if we can work together as a family and reconnect well and understand and put these things in their rightful place, we won't be a people who are overtaken by devices, by machines. We can be a family who overcomes. Now in those stories, we rightfully understand that what the writers are trying to do is dress up current reality in different clothing so that we can step into that universe that's being created and understand what is happening in that world. There are robots in Mitchell's versus the Machines. There's a big brother who is watching everything in 1984, and there's a conspiracy against all of us. And yet there is a way, as we are in that story, for us to find a way forward. And as we leave that story, it comes to its conclusion, and we step back into the real world, we carry with us the knowledge, the experience that was offered in the apocalyptic literature that helps us see our current world differently. This is what happens In the book of Revelation, this is how there is a blessing for us. I don't know what happened here with all my slides. Okay. So to summarize it this way, to go a step further, Richard Bauckham says that to understand Revelation, you must understand the Old Testament. The allusions are extensive and they assume a working knowledge, not just of the Old Testament cross-reference. In other words, when the the book of Revelation says something that pulls you back into the Old Testament... You have to understand what that Old Testament passage is saying. And not just what that Old Testament passage is saying, but also what the verses that Old Testament passage refers to are also saying. John is a masterful writer who expects that his readers understand not just the book of Revelation, but the stories that God has been telling through Scripture for millennia. You must understand the genres of this book. We just talked about them. Letter, prophecy, Apocalypse, and you've got to understand the Old Testament. This is all still moving in a, a general direction that is helpful for us, I promise you. So there are people who have helpfully put together pieces of information like this that show us the connection between the first Exodus and the story of Revelation, which is a story of Exodus, that help us see, for those of us who haven't studied the Old Testament as much as other people have, how much of an overlay there is. And as we see the amount of overlay, we can see that we are being cast as characters who live lives as bumpy and unpredictable with high points and low points where we're searching for God and hoping that he will arrive and bring redemption just like this story behind us that we have been walking through for the last few months does as well. 
And the story of Revelation is there to tell us that God will save his people by altering fundamental reality. The creator of the world who brought order to chaos is the God who will come back to the chaos that we live in and bring complete order again. He's the only one who can do that. None of us can step outside of a world where uncles are hit by drunk drivers. No one in here can reorder our days or add more numbers to them by worrying. We can't make our lives longer. We can't make our kids grow faster. We can't make the world right ourselves, but there is a God who made the world who is on his way even right now to bring justice and mercy and healing to all of us. But in the midst of that, like I said at the very beginning, we're teetering, right? We've got circles of Christians who are feeling triumphant. Life is going well, and we have circles of Christians who are being persecuted, and they can't even meet in public. You've got a church that is triumphant, that is conquering, and then you have a church that is being conquered, being pushed down. Revelation 6 speaks to this. We have the souls of God's martyrs in John's vision who are crying out to God, and maybe this is a prayer that you have right now. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? God, we have been beaten up. When will you show up? That phrase right right there demands that this letter is one that pulls us into it emotionally and helps us see that it's applicable to us now. And yet in Revelation 7, we've got God's people being triumphant. And there are some of us who feel triumphant. Things are going well. I know of a family who really has recently lost or is in the process of losing their father, their husband, their grandpa, because a drunk driver crossed the line and hit him head on. And this family is teetering. God, where are you? How long until you avenge this? How long until you make this right? And yet at the same time, they're teetering on the side of great confidence in God because God is using that to bring the family together who's been estranged. Now, does that always happen? No. But does that happen for some people who might put on a pair of glasses to read the book of Revelation and to understand that God is still present with them in a situation like that? Yeah. The church right now is super excited to see that in America we are meeting again, many of us, without masks. And it's a wonderful thing. But there's also this feeling, this teetering of, are people going to show back up? Is giving going to come back up? We've been able to to meet the budget for so long. We've been able to be ourselves and satisfy, provide for our needs ourselves for so long. But now we really need God to show up. And we teeter, don't we? What's the blessing for us that comes from a story that communicates to us that God is with us even now when we feel like we're teetering? There's, all, there's more irony that happens in this book, more juxtaposition, where in Revelation we see John who uh, saw in the right hand of the one who's sitting at the throne a writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. This is the control, the information, the playbook, the trigger of what's going to bring the world to its final conclusion. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who is the one who is able to make the world right again? But no one in heaven or on earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I, John, wept. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside of it. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. You can't control the world. You can't make things right, but don't weep, sunrise. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The creator of the world is the one who is able to make the world right again. When you found out that you can't make things go the way that you want them to, don't weep. 
Yes, there's pain. Yes, you're being bruised. But you are not abandoned. You are not destroyed. There is a God who is able to make the world right, who is going to open the scrolls. He's even doing it now. After all, he is the lion of Judah. But then when Paul looks, he he hears that there is a lion. He looks and he sees a lamb. A lamb that looked like it had been slain. See, even in this, we have a picture of Jesus who is both conquering. He is the one who can make the world right again, and yet he is also slain. He is subject to the chaos of the world. And in that, we find our own identity, our own commonality with Jesus, as we ourselves live both triumphantly and triumphed against. This is the story of Revelation. It's that there is a God in the person of Jesus, who stepped into this world that he created, who is stronger than anything else that has been created, who has been subjected to the torment and the death that this chaotic world has to offer, but is still able to walk the line and to bring to us a redemption that is full and eternal. And so you have all of God's people who are gathering around. You have a picture of all of the created beings of the world, all of the people who have been following God, back from Abraham to the prodigal son to Jairus' daughter to Zacchaeus to Dave Breen to the Wallums to you and me who sing together, both in services like this and in the cosmos. You are worthy to take the scroll, God. You are the one who can open its seals. You are the one who can make the world right again. So what Revelation is teaching is that only God can accomplish a recreation of all things, not human beings who are working without him. You can't make your way out of the situation that you are in. Yes, some situations you can, like you can pay the utility bill. But you can't determine when you die. You can't control your kids and how they're going to grow up and how they will identify or not identify with whatever it is, whether it's faith, politics, sexuality, you, your friends. You can't control that. There are moments of life when we feel this. And to that extent... God will accomplish his purposes by working through his people. He will work through those who are faithful in a suffering love. This is the story of the book of Revelation. If you read through Revelation, you've got trumpets, you've got seals, you've got uh, crazy horsemen, all kinds of stuff, and the world seems to be spiraling, spiraling, and spiraling further in a downward trajectory until it is Jesus who steps in and makes it right again. And even right now, we can look at our own lives and see how it's been spiraling, 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 and we are waiting for Jesus to bring us back to life. And this quote, this book of Revelation that I want you to read is the story that helps us see that no matter how much swirling there is and how strong the force is that's pulling us down, there is a God who is in the process of lifting us up. Okay. I told Stephanie beforehand, I'm not going to do this book justice. I love the book of Revelation. Let's go back to those glasses, those lenses to wear. Some of us can throw off the book of Revelation because we haven't gone to school for studying the Bible long enough, and so we don't think we have the lenses to read the book of Revelation. Some of us want other people to pick up glasses and look at the book of Revelation and tell us what it means. But what John wants and longs for us to do is to realize that we are a scattered, diverse group of people who live in a world that's just like this, up and down, swirling, where is God? Moments of great satisfaction in following God. Moments where we can see him move powerfully, where he parts sees and he provides a lamb but there are those moments where there's long wandering in the desert as well some of you have 
been in that moment of wandering for a while, for 40 years maybe. Some of you have been like the prodigal son who comes back home and is at that mountaintop and you've lived there for a while and you have seen God's goodness and you can be tricked into believing that you can just leave God out of the picture and pat yourself on the back for doing everything right. Some of us are waiting for the shoe to drop. We've been the punching bag in life for a long time and we don't know what to do. And what John is saying quite simply is that the God who has been involved in every one of these people's stories, in every one of these people's stories, is still involved in your story. This is what Revelation is saying. Don't get wrapped up in charts. Don't fall into the trap of naming different people the Antichrist. Don't argue about when the millennium is going to happen or not happen or the tribulation, when that's going to happen or not happen. These are all details and an apocalyptic piece of work that we don't need to fight about. We don't fight about the names of the Mitchell family individuals. Well, they should have named out Bob instead of Sam. No. We keep our eyes focused on the reality that God is with us even though life is swirling, regardless of the highs and the lows. We serve a God who was and who is and is on his way right now. God, we, (laughs) I pray that you would make some sense out of this for folks who are listening God, you provided so many stories that if we take the time to look at them, show us your faithfulness, your goodness in the midst of extremely challenging times. Moments where there's been long wandering in the desert, moments when countries have gone to war so much so that it seems as though the world could end. There's been so much friction in some of our relationships that we just don't see each other as your creation, but we see each other as enemies. And it is really easy for us when all of that happens to teeter in our confidence in you and in our identity as being one of your churches, as being your children who are called to walk together in the context of community. God, very basically my prayer on my behalf, on behalf of my family, on behalf of this church, my spiritual family, for the churches in West Michigan and Michigan and the West and around the world is that we would be a people who are faithful to you in the midst of a spiraling world. That we would be a people who come to you and trust you as a community who is desiring to follow you well. And then instead of trying to open the seals, break open the scrolls, make the world right again ourselves, that we would fall in line behind you. And that we would celebrate that you're not a God who just was, you're not a God who we can just read about now, but you're a God who is currently involved in our lives, loving us, bringing us through a disorienting world to a place of full orientation, to a place of abundance, a place of peace, a place of hope. John, near the end of his book, says that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to these words, sunrise. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated at the right on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is present tense. Everything in your life, internally, externally, God is in the process of making new. And then he said, write this down. (laughs) Count on me. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, 
Are you thirsty? I'll give to drink without cost. The one who perseveres will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what your difficulties are. But let's sing a song together that helps us join the voices of those who have gone before us, those around the world who are living up and down kinds of lives, so that we can together praise the God of heaven who's in the process of making all things new. and stand together. Jesus.
there's no one worthy who's to be followed. There is no one more powerful than the God who made us and who walks with us even now. The story that has been written, though, in the covers of our Bibles, we've gotten to the place where there are maps and it can feel as though we just set it down and go on with our lives. Really, the book of Revelation and this whole story invites us to jump into it, to live as characters in this story, not as Americans who are living a different story that has nothing to do with that, but as a connected people of God who are walking together as best they can. And this summer, we're going to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is when the church becomes the church. It is a church who looks at Jesus who has ascended into heaven and their life begins to spiral and they're wondering what is up and what is down and how they're going to make it through. So over the course of this summer, we're going to look at the book of Acts to help us ask questions again like, where is God and what do we need to do to make him known? How do we transform this world with God's love and grace for the people who are tired, who are waiting for someone to make the world right again, to break the seal and open the scrolls. So here's what I want you to do this week. Challenge God. John says at the beginning of Revelation that if you read this book, if you will read Revelation, he doesn't say if you have a degree and you can understand all of what it says, but if you will read the book of Revelation, you will be blessed by it. I know that's going to scare some of you. I can't even tell you what that blessing is going to be. But I know that if you read that book, it will bless you. We follow a God who we believe is trustworthy. So do that. Join us this summer while we look at the book of Acts. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. If you came planning to give, you can do that if you want to do it in the analog way in a bucket back there. If you want to do it digitally, you can scan the QR code that's there in front of you. We love you guys. Make sure you say hi to Bob and Lindsay Wallum who are here today. We would not be here today without the faithful work of the Wallums, without the faithful work of Dave and Linda Breen. Let's celebrate them. Let's step into a new week with great confidence that God is in this world, transforming it with his love and grace and partner with him in that. We love you guys. Have a great week.